0: Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tame Notes are Lizzie McAlpine and producers Philip Etherington and Erin Ebbidge to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the album 5 Seconds Flat. Lizzie McAlpine is a singer-songwriter from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Growing up, Lizzie was heavily involved in local a cappella and theatre groups, and as a young teen she began writing and performing songs of her own. In 2018, aged only 18, Lizzie released her debut EP, Indigo, Centred around acoustic sounds, the 8-track record was praised for its simple yet poetic lyrics along with Lizzie's impressive vocals. Going on to study songwriting at Berklee College of Music in Boston, it was here that she met Philip, and the pair began working together on several singles. Whilst enjoying a semester abroad in Spain in 2019, she was struck by inspiration and wrote the lion's share of what would later become her debut album. In June 2020, mid-pandemic, Lizzie's fan base exploded when she posted a 30-second song, "You Ruin the 1975," on TikTok, gaining over 8 million views. During a turbulent year of highs and lows, Lizzie left Berkeley to focus on releasing music. In August that year, continuing to work with Philip, she released her debut album, "Give Me a Minute." It was praised by fans, critics, and perhaps most importantly to Lizzie, by indie folk royalty, Phoebe Bridgers. Her second album, 5 Seconds Flat, arrived in April 2022 and features collaborations with artists including Phineas and Jacob Collier, among others. Philip Etherington is a songwriter, producer and multi-instrumentalist from Eugene, Oregon. Although growing up playing and performing classical music on the violin throughout his early school years, Philip's taste slowly gave way to rock, jazz, folk and pretty much everything in between. After picking up the guitar at age 13 and beginning to collaborate more with his peers, Philip began recording their projects, uncovering a passion for songwriting and producing. While also working on projects of his own, Philip began assisting composer and producer Aaron Ebbage, and after impressing Aaron, gained him as a mentor. In 2017, he moved to Boston to attend Berklee College of Music. There, he found a large community of like-minded musicians, where the success of his musical endeavours ultimately saw him drop out of college to focus on producing artists on both sides of the Atlantic, including Dodie, Kai Dreams, and Icelandic singer Luve. Having crossed paths with Lizzie at Berkeley, Philip has since produced almost all of her back catalogue, including her two studio albums. Erin Ebic is a songwriter, composer and producer, also from Eugene, Oregon. Erin's career in music began in 2002 as lead guitarist in pop-rock band Justin King and The Apologies. After a few years of regularly releasing music and touring the states, the band fell victim to a label regime change and eventually disbanded. He relocated to Los Angeles to work as an assistant engineer alongside producer Zach Ray, and eventually began writing and producing for other artists. During this time, he also began working at Vanacore Music writing for TV and advertising, winning various awards including a BMI Film and TV award for his work on Undercover Boss. Having relocated back to his hometown to continue his work as a composer and producer from his own studio, 2019 brought an opportunity to work alongside his old assistant Philip on tracks from Lizzie's debut Give Me A Minute. The creative partnership flourished and saw Aaron return as co-producer with Philip on Lizzie's follow-up Five Seconds Flat. Today, I'm here at home in Borden, South London, and I'm joined by Lizzie and Philip in LA and Aaron from his Oregon studio. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Erase Me.
1: Why am I away? Nails on the floor and soot on my tongue I don't know his name, but I still taste the rum nothing there but skin Skeletons crawl on the ceiling They know that him and his aftershave Hit like a drug. 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 drug Don't answer me I'm calling just to hear you scream you're fading, but he feels like you in between. I've said too much in and out of And last Now you're fading and I wonder who in
0: It is A Me by Lizzie McAlpine from the album Five Seconds Flat. And I'm very pleased to say that connected to me online in different parts of the United States are Lizzie McAlpine, Philip Etherington and Aaron Ebitch. Hello. How are you? Hello. Hi. It's great to have you all connected to us to talk about Five Seconds Flat and how you created it. I guess we need to know when you all started to work together. How did that come about?
2: Philip and I met through a mutual friend when we were both at Berkeley college of music in boston and we did my first record together aaron actually added some ideas to that record but it wasn't officially a a co-produced situation and then we started working on five seconds flat
3: january january of 28 years ago
2: literally yeah
4: 2020 2021 2021 yeah yeah i don't time is weird in the airbnb yes right where was the airbnb we uh at the time COVID was making things difficult, so we all had to Mm -hmm. sort of join a quarantine bubble together. So we rented an Airbnb in Eugene and Lizzie flew out and Aaron and I moved all of our gear into basically an attic. And that's where probably the first 50% of the work on the record was Mm -hmm. done, was in this tiny little room. In Um, Oregon. Yes, much to Aaron's chagrin, six foot ceiling.
3: (laughs) Sweaty little attic. It was. was. yeah.
4: But Aaron,
0: you're you're in Eugene now, is that right? Yes, I live here. Right. And Philip and Lizzie, you're in L.A., mm-hmm. but you were forced to go to Oregon <laughs> to have this bubble to start work on this yeah. album. And how many of the songs were already prepared or already written, uh, Lizzie? I
2: would say like at least half. I tend to come into a recording process of an album with a track list like, written already. It always changes because I always am writing, so... Throughout the process, I wrote new songs, I took songs off, I switched things up. It's always changing until the very last minute. But yeah, I had like at least, I don't know, a a majority of the songs were already written.
4: Really, there was just sort of a rotating list of like maybe five songs that at various points looked like they were going to make it on or didn't make it on. And then, you know, we would finish one of them and have a track like ready to go to mastering. And Lizzie would be like, actually, I wrote this one. Wait, wait wait no this one and we'll use this one and then i think that there were something like six or seven songs that made it at least halfway through like sketching ideas out for
3: production that Never didn't end up it, on the yeah. record yeah a lot of those songs wound up on the ep that's
4: true yeah
0: mm-hmm. right so they weren't wasted and they're not there in reserve for next time to lean on in case you're you're short of material but it doesn't sound like you're ever Short of material.
3: Lizzie doesn't have yeah.
0: that problem. And though. I also, I don't
2: like to go back to songs that I wrote. I don't know. I, I like to work on songs that I relate to still. And if I feel like I don't relate to a song anymore, I probably won't put it out.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, they're, they're kind of like a diary in a way, aren't they? Or a reflection of, of where you're at. And what did you want to do this time around for your second record? So after, mm-hmm. give me a minute. Did you have a, a plan or something you wanted to change?
2: yes I wanted to go as far away from give me a minute as possible <laughs> that was the only thing that I said when I, we went into this process I was like I wanted to sound completely different I like the idea of changing sounds with every record I don't ever want to make a record that sounds the same as something I've already made I just like to experiment and I felt like at the time that we were making five seconds flat I was in a kind of I was listening to a lot of like indie rock indie alternative pop stuff and kind of wanted to go in that route just felt like it mirrored how i was feeling at the time
3: yeah
0: so i guess we should start listening to some of these songs then the first one we're going to listen to is an ego thing so i think philip's going to play a bit of the master for us and then we'll we'll go back to how you created it excellent
1: guns drawn slow down it's a battle over something stupid They're all the rage right now You don't know the truth It's a battle but I think I'm winning Something makes me think you think that too I was trying to be honest You don't make that easy It's not that important, it's none of your concern That you got angry and said some angry words It's not that I hate you, I hate that it hurt There's nothing else to it
0: so that's a little taste of an ego thing how it ended up on the record 5 seconds flat but where did it begin because there's a lot of different things going in there is it all led by piano
2: Well I wrote the song on guitar which is how I write most of my songs it was in a different key it was very much it sounded very similar to give me a minute which was I kind of wanted it to be that way it was going to be the first track on the album and I wanted to kind of trick people a little bit and they would hear the first song on the album and be like, oh, this kind of is like what we've heard before. And then the next song would be something completely different. So yeah, it started very, very acoustic.
4: Yeah, we have a voice memo of Lizzie's just like initial demo after writing the song. And it's this song is probably I probably, if I thought about this, would take it back. But it might be the song that that changed the most from Mm -hmm. the outset to the final version. It's like sort of almost feels like a different song listening to the demo. If we want to play that.
0: Yeah, please do.
1: Guns drawn, slow down. It's a battle over something stupid. They're all the rage right now. You don't know the truth. It's a battle that I think I'm winning. Something makes me think you think that too. I was trying to be honest. You don't make that easy to do. So different.
2: Yeah, it's massively different.
4: (laughs) Mm. So sad. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, really
0: interesting. It is very sad sounding. And. There's so much drama in the finished yeah. recording isn't there. So I mean you know you had an idea that oh this is going to reintroduce everybody mm-hmm. to me and they'll be hoodwinked into thinking that I'm just doing the same old thing but clearly you decided to change that. What was the impetus for that?
2: I don't know we we started we went pretty far down the road of of that direction. At a certain point I think I just I was like you know what it's actually too similar to give me a minute I wanted to I was like, what if we took it in a completely different direction?
4: I feel like a recurring theme of us working on music together has been sort of we'll have some sort of simple idea of what something might want to be like, and we'll start in working on it with, you know, like, oh, this is just going to be this pretty acoustic guitar thing. We'll let the song speak for itself, not that the songs don't speak for themselves, but, you know, we start off with that sort of simplistic, romantic idea of, like, it'll be like the taste of, Give me a minute. And then we end up halfway through that. And Lizzie's like, this is boring. Let's do, <laughs> let's completely upend the whole thing and delete everything. It's like, it's always the, the stuff that comes to get, well, I mean, on my end, it's like the stuff that comes together easily at the moment that it's going to easily. I know that's when Lizzie's going to send me a text message that's like, so don't be mad, but I've been thinking. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, this song went through a few different stages. There was like a really beautiful version that we could play a little bit of that, had, like, almost uh mid-era Beatles thing going on, and Aaron wrote these really beautiful horn parts and, like, played this kind of Ringo-ish drum groove over it, and, like, the whole thing at one point had um sort of uh, eerie, like, I'm thinking, like, Yellow Submarine, but there's probably, like, a better... Yellow Submarine's a horrible reference. Um <laughs> Aaron, what would you compare it to?
3: You're talking about the version that you're referring to? Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, maybe we should play a little bit of it.
3: Yeah, let's hear it.
1: I was trying to be honest, but now I think I should have just. So this
4: one kind of starts really slow. We're playing kind of from the middle of the song here. And then the last section kind of blossoms into this groove that Aaron put together.
1: We'll get there in a second. (laughs) It's not that I hate you, I hate that it hurt. There's nothing else to it, I can't do anything more.
4: Yeah, I had forgotten about that omni-chord in there, too.
1: Mm. It's
4: a beautiful version, though.
1: I love the
4: horns. Yeah, it's so
1: cool. Yeah,
4: anyway, so we, we were kind of on that track, and we had kind of been living with that version, and we were talking about, you know, getting some, like, proper horns tracked with Aaron's arrangement, and then... What was like the moment, do you remember the moment that we were like pivoted and we're like...
2: I think it just sounded too similar, to give me a minute. And I I was at a point where I was like, I want to go as far away from that as possible because all of my albums are kind of a reflection of who I am while I'm making them. And I really didn't feel like I related to that album anymore at all. And I knew that, you know, people were probably going to expect something in that vein from me, like the more folk, indie, acoustic, singer, songwriter stuff. And... I don't like to um, give in to people's expectations. I like yeah. to um, do what I want to do. So yeah, I don't know. I just kind of made the decision that maybe we should take it in a different direction to steer away from that world.
4: Lizzie, you can tell them to edit this out if this is not okay for me to say, <laughs> okay. but you were also pretty angry like at that Yeah, to- I remember with, like feeling this vibe in the room and like feeling like... Just like there was this sense of like restlessness and I was like, maybe we should try something like aggressive with some like teeth on it and Mm -hmm. just completely change directions on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all based on how I'm feeling about the things that I'm writing about or, you know, the things that the songs are about. So I guess I just was feeling (laughs) like it needed to be more impactful and more angry. I don't know. It just it felt like the song needed a little bit more.
4: Yeah. There's sort of like one end of the emotions encompassed in that song is sort of like this like really sorrowful thing, the misunderstanding that the lyrics are talking about. And then the other end of it is, God, you're like such a dick. <laughs> 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 so the first version in my head was like more the like, I would listen to that and get to the end of the song and be like, oh, Lizzie, like, yeah. I'm so sorry, but... Because yeah. the,
2: the-, the lyric that I am drawn to is like, I was trying to be honest, but I guess, you know, I should have just lied, or I guess I, I won't be honest anymore. And in the first version, it felt very much like, oh, like, I guess, like, I'll just never tell the truth ever again. And in the final version, it feels like, A well, I guess I'll finger. never <laughs> yeah. tell the truth ever again. Like, <laughs> fuck you, you know?
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. That is, I mean, again, this song... Sort of serves as a great example of the record making process as a whole, both because it sort of exemplifies Lizzie's kind of artistic growth over the course of this record, but also every song that she brought, there was this process of just searching for the identity of mm-hmm. the song. And this one, this one is the clearest example of that. It started and ended in, you know, such different places. But that was really the conversation that we had the entire record. It's like, what is the Mm -hmm. identity of this song? And yeah, I mean, you hear that demo and it feels like the identity is really leaning into the sort of vulnerable kind of passive role that a person might play in a relationship dynamic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at some point it was like, wait, the song starts with the line, guns drawn.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of just like this recurring feeling that I have working on like records like from scratch demos which is that there's like as the producer you start in this role of audience member just trying to latch on to like what the song is about and there's it's easy enough like to sort of forget about just how nuanced like you know lyrics are or lyrics can be and you know Mm -hmm. songs can be and get hooked into this idea of like okay well I hear these chords and like you know I can imagine like these textures making this sound cool and then, you know build up a big sexy thing and it's like oh like this has nothing to do with what she's trying to express and yeah i feel like that's yeah. a lesson that i've learned from you like over and over again is like okay just pay attention to what the is world. there yeah. is really good already it's all about like trying to highlight what's already special about it and yeah. it requires care
0: but it sounds like lizzie you're you're working it out yourself anyway and it's almost yeah. as if you have to go through these different versions mm-hmm. to to get an understanding of what you are actually trying to say.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I also feel like going back to the identity thing that Aaron was talking about. It. I feel like throughout this whole process, I was trying to figure out like who I was as a person and as a musician. I was, I went through a breakup like right at the top of the recording process, and it was really uh, horrible, <laughs> and I was really going through it, and I think. Along with finding the identities of these songs, I was also trying to like figure out who i who I wanted to be as a person, as a musician, what I wanted to sound like. And I think that really was reflected in the way that we went about working on these songs and that also could have yeah. been one of the reasons why I wanted to switch this particular song up. Maybe I was just feeling <laughs> a little a little angry,
4: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how do you go about that? Uh, there was sort of this moment we had like paused the record for like two weeks because I had to move to LA. <laughs> and we the three of us did two weeks of or two separate one week stretches of working out ideas at the beginning of the summer and in LA in LA. And we were sitting in my garage talking about the song and it was this like rip off the band-aid moment came where we are like, all right, let's just try something totally different. And I had this thought in mind about, uh, there was some like Julia Michaels song or something that just had like this like combination of just like totally bizarre, difficult to listen to synth sounds and really aggressive drums at the beginning of it. And so then we just kind of loaded up a couple samples and in like an hour we had this little sketch of like the first verse with Lizzie's scratch vocal. You can hear her like (laughs) cracking up.
1: Gun strong. Slow down. It's a battle over something stupid. They're all the rage right now. You don't so abrasive sounding.
2: It's so abrasive sounding.
1: <laughs> it's a
4: battle
1: that I think I'm winning. Something makes
4: me think. You think I so that those sounds. Almost all of the non-drum sounds are from this little guy, the Casio SK-1, which was like our stupid secret weapon. This particular synth, my mum bought at a garage sale, like before I was born for $2. And it's on virtually every song yeah. on the album. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Can you play a chord on that? Sure. Or is it just single notes? Because some of those Casio things, you can't even
4: play a chord on them, can you?
2: Can you play a chord?
4: Well, oh, that was a hypothetical, or that was like a, <laughs> <laughs> got it, that was a rhetorical question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you can play a chord on that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny. There's like two octaves of range. You can't switch octaves, so unless you're sampling something and you're really limited. And uh, the best part of that keyboard is that there's like this sampler on it, which we used all over the place. There's like a horrible sounding mic going into, you know, whatever the, like, 8-bit audio recording thing in it is and one of those sounds in there which sounds like this like growling thing you can kind of hear it that is like me leaning into the mic on the thing going and then we play that (laughs) into a guitar amp and it was like oh (laughs) wow it all makes a lot more sense now because
0: when i've been listening to this song i've been trying to work out what the instruments are, and, and it's really quite difficult mm-hmm. to identify them.
4: This is one of, the, there's a lot of songs on the album that have like some stupidity of like whatever, you know, coffee mug or like, you know, the Casio was in reach. Those things are tucked into the background and sort of fill out. They're like, oh, what is that sound? This song is like, that's all it is. The second verse, there's this like kind of ambiguous, like filtered percussion sound. It's me with a handful of Expo markers in my hand. Should we Find get it. into this session? Or
3: Yeah, that would be great. While Philip's getting that together, I one thing that I feel like we should probably mention is that while this record was being made, Lizzie was also writing a screenplay. And oh, yeah. like death was a big part of her vision mm-hmm. for her film.
2: I was going through it. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> Which screenplay is this?
0: Which film is this?
2: It was from the short film that accompanied the album. Right. We kind of chose five songs from the album and kind of made music videos that connected and then put scenes in between them and that was very much on my mind during this whole record process i wasn't necessarily like producing these songs with like oh if we do it this way it'll like be in the movie i was kind of just like letting it happen yeah
0: <clears throat> but you that means you've created double the work oh, yeah yourself. so not only are you trying to work out what the songs are but you're also trying yeah. to already put the mm-hmm. story of the yeah. songs together in a film before you've even finished writing the. Yeah, well, that <laughs> I song. love.
2: That's I'm always thinking about next steps. I think like very far in the future, project-wise.
4: Lizzie's like an entire creative department in one person. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. So
0: that's the five seconds flat, the film mm-hmm. that's up on your website. Um, yeah, I did actually. I uh, watched it, but I, I did wonder how you went about creating that. But you kind of started working on that simultaneously as you were working on the songs yep. for the album.
3: Mm-hmm. That was part of a conversation the whole way through. And it wasn't It wasn't like we were talking in detail about it. Mm-hmm. She was working on that on her own, but she would say like, oh, this is going to be great for the film. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we, we talked about it generally a bunch, yeah. just about her ideas for the film and the recurring death theme. I don't know, like at some point, it sort of became clear that, Lizzie was exploring darker territory Mm -hmm. and this song is a great example of that sort of transformation doomsday I remember that song was like oh wow this is dark (laughs) yeah
2: well it just feels like way more angsty and like that's the word that I use to describe the album is angsty
3: and that's how the process was. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. And in, in having those conversations, those, uh, at least in retrospect, I feel like those were some of the things that helped reinforce some of the creative decisions that were mm-hmm. made. Like, you know, again, it wasn't like we or Lizzie set out to make music for a film. Mm-hmm. But when those two things aligned in her mind, it seemed like okay, now we understand the identity of the song. Now it's the whole vision started becoming more clear. And that that was one of the things, it, as I recall, that helped, helped make those, you know, should we go with A or B? Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that helped us go with B. There was
4: a, a lot of visual language when we were talking about yeah. the songs. It was sort of like yeah. we were scoring a film in our heads mm-hmm. in moments.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because in a way the death in the film is flagged up by the makeup that you're using you know the halloween makeup where different characters within the film suddenly they're wearing Mm a a kind of halloween style death mask of makeup and uh, that kind of brings in the shadow of death be it uh you know your role or the different Mm -hmm. romantic interests that you've got in the film as well suddenly (laughs) skull oh yes and uh really frightening so have you um Found this passage, then, Philip.
4: Yeah, so I mean, we can maybe talk through how the thing came together. This one was kind of interesting. It was really it doesn't always work this way, but we sort of built it really chronologically, section by section, and kind of each thing was a bit of its own puzzle. So we started with those hits with the drums and the uh, like kind of distorted piano and guitar sounds. This was sort of the initial foundation. And then from there we cut a scratch vocal, but we have the final lead vocal in this session, so I'll play that.
1: Gun strong. Slow down. It's a battle over something stupid. They're all the rage right now.
4: And then we added the funky synths in.
1: Know the truth. It's a battle I think I'm winning Something makes me think you think that too
4: And then toward the end of this verse there was sort of this moment where for a while we were feeling like this is too sparse Listening back to that moment in the song it sort of feels like like did they finish it? <laughs> like, like my feeling about it was like I hope that people almost skip the song but don't quite until the chorus hits and then it sort of all ties back together Um, so then the next thing was the chorus, that started with just trying to come up with something just a little bit more like pop oriented but sort of weird in its own right. So that was, started with this bass line, a little chop of pitched up bass. So there's a kind of Mogish sounding sub bass, and then there's a crappy P bass that I have. Uh, and it's all kind of processed to sound like it might be coming out of a VST. And then the kind of other main piece in the chorus, melodically other than the vocal, is this sample that I have of, it's the, I'm going to describe this, and I have no idea if the visual make, will make sense or not. But picture holding a violin in your hands, and muting all the strings except for one of them and then smacking the wood on the violin as hard as you can without damaging the violin and then you cut the transient off of it so there's no bright thwack sound and then send it into a bunch of reverb and then chop that up and that's this sound and then there's some distortion on it kind of almost sounds like some kind of mallet instrument or it reminds me of those like boomwhacker toys that they have Yeah, so and then from there there was kind of like a couple of layers of guitars, doing yeah, variety of... What's that then? That is a guitar, and then a guitar pitched up an octave, just kind of palm muted, direct input, and then we have some kind of extra percussion layers. That would be me hitting some objects in my studio I couldn't tell you what but cool. <laughs> yeah kind of far away stuff and yeah and then there's kind of shaped up the rest of the drums yeah the bass and the other stuff Yeah, and then there's this is the sound that Lizzie just said woe to. This is labeled stupid piano in my daw. And that <laughs> <laughs> that is like a little piano melody pitched up an octave with an auto filter on it, and it just was like kind of too hilarious not to just hide in there. Yeah, and then there's I guess the one sound that I didn't point out in the chorus is the just this pad. Which is again that Casio SK1. This is like the jazz organ mm-hmm. preset, some modulation on it. And that all comes together to be this.
1: It's not that I hate you, I hate that it hurt. There's nothing else to it, I can't do anything more.
0: One of the things that I really like about it is that there's still lots of little bits of space that you've left in and it helps define both the vocal and it helps define the individual elements that you've created. So they all stand out in a great way, which gives it a real drama to the song.
4: appreciate that. Yeah, no, I feel like this song, it's sort of like, I mean, in that chorus in particular, there's sort of this like goofy interplay between like Lizzie says something dark and emotional and, you know, really up close to the mic. And then a stupid sound happens, and they kind of lock into this groove of call and response sort of between each other.
2: I also feel like space is something that we played with a lot on this record, and we play with a lot in general. I, the vocal is always going to be the most important thing for me, and there are a lot of moments in this song and in Doomsday, and there's just a lot of moments where there's not a lot going on, but it's um, there's just a lot of space.
0: And it's interesting because there's a playful quality to the way that you do that within this song, which adds a nice contrast to the heaviness or the the seriousness of the lyrics in a way. And because it, as you listen to the whole of the album, and it's well articulated in the film as well, that there are these aspects of humor where you're almost laughing at the seriousness mm-hmm. of the situation that you found yourself in, and, and this heartbreak that you're feeling. That you know it is; it's the end of the world, but at the same time. Part of you is laughing at the idea that, no, this could be the yeah. end of the world. That it, it Don't be ridiculous, <laughs> but yeah. it's the end of the world. Don't be stupid. <laughs> it's the end of the world. No. It's almost like you are you don't want to get too serious on us, Lizzie. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to <laughs> bring us down too much. But at the same time, actually, this is really serious and it's really important. And it's really you know, the end of the world.
2: Well, there are definitely songs on the record that we just went full sadness on. This one felt like it could
3: be a little bit playful, yeah, there's sarcasm in the in the lyrics, mm, yeah, definitely. and I think <clears throat> that was one of the touchstones for the more playful aspects of the mm-hmm. production. yeah, I certainly. was thinking about space, the comments about space, and I remember talking a lot and me personally thinking a lot about like it was clear that Lizzie wanted to make a really ambitious sonically ambitious record. And I remember thinking a lot about how that is fun and exciting, but I also, there's a part of me that wanted to make sure that it was still her. And so that came up in just like, you know, how we built up the tracks. What was the foundation of the track? And it was always some aspect of her performance. You made the comment earlier about how sonically this is a world apart from give me a minute but the vocal is still right there right in front and that you know she didn't sing it in some way that is not really her she sang it like her
0: yeah very much so and having deconstructed and reconstructed the song talking of the vocal did you have to approach the vocal in a in a different way did you, you know re-record the whole thing and and sing it in a different way with different emphasis yeah, definitely
2: yeah. um
0: it was also
4: necessitated by the new tempo and
2: Yeah, we've changed the key too. Yeah. But that like logistically aside, it was kind of difficult at first to like reframe reframe it, yeah, yeah. cuz I had written it in such a specific way that now changing it and having to, like, reframe the way that I think about the song and think about the lyrics and how would I sing these. And I remember, like, we were recording and you were, like, sing it, like, with a smile. Sing oh, yeah. Like you're, like.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was, like, trying to get her to picture, like, the creepy girl in the horror movie with, like, the knife in her hand. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> like, there should be a sound of you taking pleasure in something that you don't want it or that you wouldn't want somebody to take pleasure in especially with like the violence and the second verse. There's sort of like, there's actually kind of a funny moment. We left in the track, which is probably not something that you would recognize. But if I solo it, I can show it to you. We went over the beginning of the second verse over and over again. And I was just trying to get a, like a delivery out of Lizzie that felt like it matched the potential spookiness. And I was kind of waiting for the goosebumps to hit the back of my neck. And then they did. And you can hear me go like... (laughs) I'll play you the vocal here
1: sharp knife (laughs)
4: it's very faint in there (laughs) with this little breath and that's that's me like 10 feet away like (laughs) (laughs) that was it (laughs) excellent
0: that's fascinating to hear all about the evolution of this song because it really did kind of get turned upside down in a way and yet the essence of the song was there from the beginning, you know, the intention and what you were trying to say. But to hear how you eventually managed to articulate that and got it to a place where you were happy, you no, know, is really interesting. Um, should we yeah. have another blast of the master? Is there anything else to point out within the song before
4: we move on? Can we play the, the version of it that ended with like the like big chorus? Yeah. Okay. This was Almost the final version. This was one of those like down to the wire with the deadline for the record things where the last chorus was initially kind of like Blink-182-ish and we ended up not going with it. We ended up going with like, you know, the kind of more chilled out thing, but um, you can hear in the existing or in the master, there's like a, a snare fill right before the last chorus. And it sort of sounds like it's about to go into this big thrashy rock thing. And the thing that nobody knows is that it actually was going to do that. So here I'll play you that clip in the finished song.
1: But now I think I should have It's not that important. It's none of your concern.
4: So we shied away from that. That's but crazy. I know, I kind of love it though. Oh my God, that's kind of
2: <laughs> sick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is great. I'm, wow. I'm all for it. But it's interesting that you gave it a go. You tried it and decided, no, that's not where mm-hmm. we're going. And it's interesting because the song is positioned, is it the second track on the album. So that would have been quite a surprise for everybody. Um, oh, absolutely.
4: You no, know, yeah. Even though this is already a surprise. There's a hilarious story that Lizzie hasn't heard, which is that, that was December 20th. The record was due on December 24th. I sent Lizzie that bounce with the thrashy rock section. And I was like, you know, what do you think of this mix? Can we send this to Mastrin? And she was like, I changed my mind. I don't like the last chorus anymore. (laughs) So I text Aaron in like a tizzy, like, oh my God, she just like bait and (laughs) switched this. And I was like, what am I going to do? And Aaron was like, well, copy and paste the chorus and add a tambourine. I'm pretty sure that's... I probably shouldn't call them out, but he named a particular band. He's like, I think that's what blank does. (laughs) We had a laugh over it. And so I copy and pasted the chorus, (laughs) including the vocal. Can I say that? Oh,
2: wow. I didn't know that. She
4: doesn't know that. It's the same vocal. Love that. And added a tambourine. And that was like the thing that cracked the chorus was like a little bit of wisdom from Aaron, which was like, just add a tambourine. I mean, of course, it was a highly processed And side-chained tambourine, which is also buried somewhere in the session. But if I just play all the drums together, it should be in there. Of course it's not. (laughs) 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 I don't know if this is worth looking for. But there's a tambourine in that chorus. And then the the other thing that kind of tied it together to differentiate was this bizarre sound, which is just playing the chords of the song on on an acoustic guitar. Like with, uh, I don't know how to... I can mime it on the video, but I can't just, yeah. like, really, like, as fast as possible, sort of, like, Strumming tremolo, it really quickly. Strumming, and then pitching it up an octave and sending it into this, like, cascading reverb thing. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun, right? Yeah, and then a little bit of the thrashy Blink-182 energy made it in and we kept a couple of those guitar chops, which I think sound way more tasteful Mm -hmm. in the context of like, not just trying to do that thing, but
1: the...
4: (laughs) (laughs) And just because I just found it, here's the tambourine. Thank you, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: brilliant. So that is an ego thing. And the next song we're going to look at is Ceilings. But we're going to take a break now. We'll be back in just a moment. The next song we're going to look at by Liz McAlpine from 5 Seconds Flat is Ceilings. And Philip is going to play the master. So we get a little idea of what it's all about.
1: Nobody else does. Lovely to just lay here with you. You're kind of cute, and I would say all of this, but I don't.
0: So that is ceilings from five seconds flat. How it sounds on the final album. So how did this one come about? And we hear elements, I guess you could say, of the Lizzie McAlpine we already know from the mm-hmm. first record. Maybe.
2: Well, I wrote this song in September or August of 2020, and I was in London. I made a demo of it. I didn't really make any voice. I made one voice memo of this song, which is weird because normally. I make voice memos, like, throughout the whole writing process. And there are a bunch in a row, but this one was just one. It was the first verse. You want to play it? I
4: love the ambience on that voice memo. I know. such a vibe. Is that London traffic? I right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are they authentic <laughs> yeah. London sounds? Awesome.
2: Um yeah, and then I made a demo. Just I had my mic and an interface with me in my apartment. I was not very good at making demos at that point, so it's not that great.
4: It did a really good job of telegraphing the arc of the song for us though. Yeah, like, I definitely
2: think that I it's this is kind of rare, but I knew like exactly what I wanted the song to sound like going into the production process. Normally I come into the sessions and I'm like, this is the voice memo of the song. With just vocal and guitar and now how do we make this what should we put in it this one was um i kind of had an idea
1: already the drum sound
4: acrostic
1: it's so bad you're kind
4: of cute. Yeah, and then so the, the really important thing from this demo was that Lizzie sort of had this thing figured out about how she wanted the ending to build up, and there's this uh, the drums that she programmed are like pretty, certainly in spirit, reminiscent of what we ended up doing.
1: Yeah. And I can't recall
4: Guitar polyrhythms are so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, math rock Lizzie. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so we kinda had this idea from the start with this song, that ending section. I was hoping to like the image in my head was like Lizzie in the middle of a hurricane, and like still as like raw and like gentle as the demo, but somehow like via mixing we would keep her floating on the surface of just this like massive like cacophony of drums and strings and big ambient guitar sounds otherwise it was like okay let's execute this demo but try to flesh it out more
2: make it sound better
4: yeah <laughs> and yeah i mean it was like continually a reference point yeah. in the process of recording the song yeah i mean the demo sounds good
2: yeah it sounds better than i thought it did
3: I certainly spent a lot of time listening to it and enjoying it. Hmm. You can hear how it relates to Give Me a Minute for sure. And it's sort of another example of how, you know, you you start with this song and it could go anywhere. Like she writes these songs that could be taken in any direction.
2: Yeah. Um, And I also, I wrote this song right before, right after, during when Give Me a Minute was coming out. I wrote the song at the same time as that was happening. So it's kind of in that similar vein. This is one of the songs on the on Five Seconds Flat that sounds the most like Give Me a Minute, but we managed to find a way to differentiate it, I think.
3: Hey Philip, will you play the um that percussion part in the second verse that we all played together? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Are we ready to go to Geek I remember Town? that being a really fun moment.
4: Yeah, so here, uh, let me play a little bit of the second verse and I'll build up the percussion and explain what we have going on there and how things came together.
1: Bed sheets, no clothes. Touch me like else does.
4: So the second verse kind of includes most of the textures from the first half of the song. So maybe it'd be cool to just talk through what everything is. Um, the first thing that we recorded, I have this, old Yamaha guitar that I've just completely abused it over the years and the final step was painting it. It was like an art project and I sort of didn't expect to have a usable instrument coming out of it. I put like really light electric guitar strings on it to compensate for the fact that the neck was like pretty warped out of shape so it was still playable and it made this like really thin, brittle guitar sound which is sort of like, I feel like a big part of the magic in terms of how this Mm -hmm. song sounds and Lizzie double-tracked those with her awesome feel. (laughs) Has like this almost like dulcimer-like quality to it. It doesn't quite feel like an acoustic guitar. And then to just sort of add a little bit of weight underneath that, there's a more typical sounding acoustic guitar. I don't remember what we used. I think it might've been Aaron's 0017. And that one has this more of like a two feel sort of more similar to how Lizzie was playing the song like naturally sounds more like the demo as opposed to the like pretty steady eighth note rhythm and then from there we would have done a scratch vocal there's a funny story which i'll get to later about the vocals on this tune just Ended up using two different mics and it was a fiasco. But uh, yeah, next we would have added the vocal.
1: Jeans, no clothes. Touch me like nobody else
4: does. Anyway, so there's, uh, we were kind of listening to the song and I have sort of an inside joke with the people that I work with that you can sort of always make the arc of a song work with a quote groovy second verse. <laughs> so I feel like this is one of those groovy second verse tunes where it was like, great, we have a pretty like intro. Now let's give the song some kind of guts. And we we were starting with just trying to build up, you know, like downbeat and the backbeat. So we had started with the sound of Aaron has this like big marching bass drum and we recorded that with a few different mics, and it kind of has this big rumbling quality to it, which sounds like this. You can hear the lovely headphone and click bleed in there. And then we had the idea, I think Aaron had the idea that we would try using some just more homemade sounding percussion sounds for the backbeat, so that Started with the names of these, yeah. There's the titles of these tracks are Fingers, Nuts, <laughs> Bamboo, <laughs> and Rocks. Uh, <laughs> what would you think? Fingers or Nuts came first?
2: I think because we we sat around the the snare or whatever we were using, and we all just like kind of like,
4: yeah, there's probably a video. On there is Instagram. a video, I,
2: I took a video of it.
4: Yeah, so this is the sound of <laughs> the three of us sitting in a circle around a snare drum with the snares off, tapping our fingers and sort of like a little. So that's kind of a foundational layer with the bass drum. And we layered in a few just sort of stock kick samples to just give that bass drum a little bit more weight. And then the next thing, and this is like one of my favorite like individual percussion sounds that I've ever stumbled across, was we had this can of nuts that we were snacking on, <laughs> and I swear it's in this room right now, and I haven't opened the seal. I don't want to like mess with the magic. I haven't taken the lid off. Oh, there it is, it's literally Oh on my grass. God. this is like this has moved with me between I've lived in like four or five different places since then, and I've carried this can of nuts. Planters.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> and you can hear it,
4: the.
0: Wow, amazing. Yeah. So they're planters. Um, although I don't know whether I should reveal that.
4: Yeah, yeah it's mixed nuts. They're about half eaten. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, do that again. Yeah. So here's here's that sound in real life right now, and then nice here it is as recorded on the record. See, same nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. So that is completely sealed. It hasn't been opened at all. Well, it, it was opened. It's probably horribly moldy inside now. That's actually <laughs> the real reason I haven't opened it is that, you know, kind of don't want to know. Yeah. But it's still functional as percussion. It hasn't spoiled in that regard. Yeah, so we combine the fingers and the nuts.
3: <laughs> and
4: uh, that sounds like this. <laughs> sort of like rain on the roof, but not really. That's a terrible analogy. Oh, yeah, it's, sound of breaking some of Aaron's bamboo sticks (laughs) Uh, and then there was a bag of rocks that was just hanging around the airbnb yeah and then all those together kind of make this thing like lots of little attacks sprinkled sound and we can add the bass drums back in that's the foundation and then i was feeling like it needed a little bit more subdivision so There's the sound of me playing a brush just against my hand. It's kind of got this like squishy, like there's the sound of the brush hitting the hand and then the sound of the sweat releasing the brush. (sighs) So then there's some toms. These, I think Aaron played these. Mm. So if you combine that percussion groove with our guitars and the vocal
1: jeans, no Touch me like nobody else does.
4: that's sort of the oh, fingerprint of that second verse and then up until the very last minute there was some of my pretty bad bass playing on this but we ended up having Sean Hurley replace it.
2: Just like brings so
1: much. Touch me like nobody else does.
4: Yeah. And there's Aaron's beautiful grand piano playing.
1: Just
4: can't go wrong with open tents. And then the big thing that we haven't talked about at all on this song we had Rob Moose record and write just this like stunning string arrangement so good and it was was, perfect
2: it like really pulled the whole song together
4: i remember Mm -hmm. listening to it in my car and like sobbing just like oh we don't have anything to worry about now
0: Did you give Rob any direction in terms of the kind of strings that you wanted? No.
4: I, so I was having a conversation with Ethan Greska right before we were going to send us to Rob. And I was like, do I tell Rob anything or does he just nail it? And he's like, just don't tell him anything. He doesn't need anything. <laughs> and uh, it turned out to be totally true. He like just nailed it on the first go. Yeah. Uh, what else is in this verse? That's that pretty guitar, much it. That guitar
2: that like boom boom
4: boom. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's a line in the inner voices of the strings. Let me see if I can solo the right ones here. So Aaron had the brilliant idea to double that with baritone guitar. It
2: sounds so pretty. It's like <laughs> the one of my favorite Tone is beautiful. Things.
4: Yeah, so it's broken into two parts. Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments
1: of so this pretty too. same.
4: And then, classic Lizzy background vocal moment. And then, the scene change to the outro, which was like its own process, it was almost like working on a different song. Lizzie had that idea with the drums building up and that open hi-hat sound in her demo. There's something about open hi-hat. It's like sort of this like harsh grating sound, and it's it has the ability to create and add a lot of energy to like a moment in a song, but it also takes up so much space, and it was sort of like, how is that going to work in context? The answer ended up being Blair Cinta and Reverb. So I ended up going to Blair's and we recorded a bunch of drums at his studio. Um, the section sort of starts without that hi-hat thing and it starts with the like, four on the floor kick drum thing and the hi-hat enters a minute later. Here, let's just play that ending.
1: But it's over. Then you're driving
4: so we've got some kind of muted Blair concert toms. To and that's sort of like providing a little bit of the momentum. And then there was sort of a, like 3 a.m. moment for me, which was this guitar part, which is weirdly a sort of cheap Martin guitar. And it's just the DI sound of that into a really like ratty guitar amp that I had. And then a bunch of reverb. This was kind of inspired by something that was in Lizzie's demo. So that's the rhythmic foundation and then you add back in Lizzie's original guitars and then Sean. We start there and then Rob's string arrangement kind of helps it swell up and then... There's those hi-hats, it's funny, listening back to them after I've said that thing, they ended up in a a relatively similar spot in the mix to where they were in Lizzie's demo, like pretty far back, but also pretty bright and in a ton of reverb. It was one of those things, it was like, you know, it felt like, okay, there has to be this big drum thing going on here, but there's just, you know, if we're going to have this mousy vocal in here, there's no room in the mix for it, so. I feel like it came together mm-hmm. certainly it's like one of the better received songs on the album but this is one of the ones that you know sending it in i was like this is different and i'm like i was kind of really just trusting lizzie's reaction particularly with the mix of like you know is this working um yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we can talk it's about vocals simple, yeah yeah there's we did this triple tracked vocal thing
1: but it's over then you driving
4: me We have a little octave shift on one of those to just give it a little bit more weight. You
1: kiss me in your car and it feels like the start of a movie I've seen before.
4: Weren't
2: we going to redo the vocals? Didn't we do this take and we thought that it was too, I don't know, rigid or...
4: This is one of the that? songs... So yeah, we were going to tell the story about the vocals on this tune. This song, we did this in... Oregon, the main part of the lead vocal with like 47 mic that Aaron has, and I didn't have it. And so I borrowed a friend's, like a different 47 copy and found out that 47 copies are really not created equally. And there was like, just like a a drastically different EQ curve to the one that we had used in Oregon. So I would kind of be interested to know if anybody actually like if anybody's had the thought like, oh, that second verse sounds totally different. Because I hear it that way, but I feel like it must be in my head. Well, anyway. it also,
2: like, we I wasn't originally going to be singing the second verse, so we didn't record it at first in organ because it was going to be a feature, but then that never panned out, so we had to record the second verse later.
4: Yes, that was a key detail. Yeah. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Maybe we should compare and contrast yeah. that. Maybe we should hear sure. a bit of the first verse and the second. Yeah.
1: Ceilings Plaster can't you just make it move faster?
4: So there's first verse and here I can remove my corrective EQ this is so nerdy, but I can remove my corrective EQ and you can hear just how different those mics sound.
1: Ceilings plaster can't you just make it move faster bed sheets. No
4: quote. It's funny, I have a feeling that people are going to hear that and think, actually, they're not all that different. But trust me, in context, <laughs> <Yeah>. totally different. <laughs> Crazy. But, the, you know,
0: these are your ears. You know, that's the ability to notice those differences that is so important. And something else that really strikes me about the whole album, but particularly this track, is the way that, you know, you were talking about the hurricane and you create that atmosphere. But at the same time, there's a... A gentleness to the song and the whole record, you know, that allows us to really hear Lizzie's vocals and hear Lizzie's voice. You know, And there are all these different ingredients, but none of them ever overshadow your performance or what you're trying to tell us in these songs. No, it's yeah. amazing.
2: Well, I feel like the only thing that I really want on all my songs is that my voice takes precedent. And that's really something that we have tried to do on everything we we work on, because it feels like that's the most important part of my songs are you know the words and the way that i sing it mm.
0: and is there a particular way to record lizzie's voice is there a, a vocal chain or a particular reverb or, or anything that you use
4: this microphone <laughs> but not on this song funnily enough <laughs> <laughs> right. but it's right like a, a nice clean bright microphone and she sings so softly that you can get her up really close without having the usual issues that you might have with sibilance you can hear there's like a massive amount of proximity effect when I take the EQ off. But that's sort of like one of those. I mean, the way that I tend to record Lizzie's vocals was sort of initially a result of just circumstantial limitations of recording in the apartment in Boston in the middle of the city with like, you know, sirens outside. And roommates. So And roommates. (laughs) So, you know, it was like, all right, we'll get up really close to the mic. And then, you know, I'll EQ away all the bottom end. And then it sort of just turned out like, you know, that... There's just some like really great detail that you can get out of Lizzie's voice by having a mic sort of like right up in her face, and so we've kind of done that over and over again, and you know also to combat noise. And then both the four fourteen and the forty seven. So,
0: sorry, the microphone you're referring to is that the four fourteen? Is that
4: we This her, is the, the four fourteen the that you say that, is, that yeah. she's using, right? Yeah the, yeah, the one that she's using on the podcast right now is the microphone <laughs> that we did. Everything on Give Me a Minute With and probably seventy five percent of uh five seconds flat. And then yeah, we just kinda like do multiple layers of gentle squashing to her vocal and pretty heavy DSing and um yeah, I mean
3: I would say one asterisk to this part of the conversation is that you could record Lizzie with any mic and it would still sound kind of amazing. And, you know, we we recorded that, the live EP that she recorded in whatever it was, four hours or whatever. And that was the opposite of everything that Philip is describing right now. And, you know, that is sort of just the proof that there are aspects of engineering that would make his or my job easier in terms of how, you know, the signal chain goes. But really, like, I mean, she could release voice memo recordings on her iPhone, and she has. She has. (laughs) Well, I do that on SoundCloud. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you know, before anybody goes rushing out and buying $5,000 microphones, that is really the key ingredient, is just how she sings.
4: And I mean, Lizzie,
3: I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but like one thing that I did not know about you until we were in the same room together is that like you... you smell horrible. Can <laughs> <double> <laughs> 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 it's unbearable. <laughs> like the first time I witnessed her double her own vocal, mm. it was just sort of shocking. It was stunning. She, It's uncanny. She sings... I mean, it's not just perfectly in tune with itself, but every nuance... Every little inflection from start to finish, like the top of the song to the end, every little detail is like somehow logged into her memory and performed exactly the same. Lizzie, how do you do that? (laughs) Yeah.
2: I don't know. I just kind of do it. It's just, it comes naturally to me, I guess.
3: You really don't practice that? Please tell me.
2: No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it.
3: (laughs) It's just nuts. It's,
2: thanks. It's really wild.
3: (laughs) This song. I feel like yeah. a couple of things that this song exemplifies are like early on in the process. I remember Lizzie being like, I don't want to play guitar on this. I don't think I should. It was almost like she didn't think of herself as a guitar player. Does that ring a bell to you guys?
2: Vaguely. Yeah. I don't remember why.
3: It's a vague memory, but I remember, I remember having that conversation and either Philip or I trying like, okay, we'll, we'll play it. And it just it is not Oh yeah, same. It does not feel I do remember same. that. I do remember that. Yeah. I recall that being a, I don't know, like when you make a record, if you don't set out with a set of rules, sometimes you do set out with a set of rules, but even if you don't, those rules sort of get established. Like we're going to do it mm-hmm. this way because of this reason. And that was one of the things that I feel like established one of those rules is like mm. if it's a fundamental acoustic guitar part like that, She just has to play it because we don't play that way, and it's just part of the song. And I remember also, John, you commented about um, how her vocal is, you know, up front, and that that was always sort of the priority. But in a song like this, where the foundation is so gentle, like she's singing so quietly, she's playing guitar so quietly, we. I feel like I remember talking about like how we were going to get sounds that sound big and impactful quietly. Like how do we do that without changing the character of her guitar and voice?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think the answer overall was like immersion and detail and like big bottom end and really sort of like present top end, but there's like a lot of dynamic room in the top end. And like one of the things was like you know Rob's string parts were relatively gentle but in the context of the thing there was like a lot of like upper mid-range sort of like treble area and that was like the EQ move that I had to make in the end to get it to work in the mix was just pretty representative I think of the the sonics of the song overall to get all the detail and all of the width but not have, like, just this, like, big soupy mess of everything occupying, like, the... It's like, you know, you can have a lot of different sort of flavors of bright. There's, like, you know, big blasting guitar bright, or there's, like, you know, the sound of, like, somebody rubbing their fingers together next to your ears, and I feel like the mentality with this song overall was, like, rather than pull out the megaphone, pull out the microscope and amplify it that way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it seems so crucial as well to the
0: whole record, you know, getting that balance right, you know, and you have done so, so beautifully. I think we should hear another bit of Ceilings, The Master, and then we'll take another break and we'll move on to Reckless Driving. Wonderful. Here's the ending section
4: from start to finish.
1: But it's over, then you're driving me home, and it kind of comes out as I get up.
0: I love the way it fades as well. It's just subtle, but actually quite quick. Yeah. <laughs> it suddenly ends. Excellent. Um, right. Well, that was Ceilings. We're going to listen and explore Reckless Driving next. The next song we're going to look at from Lizzie McAlpine's Five Seconds Flat is Reckless Driving. And Philip has it lined up to give us the, a blast of the master.
1: Now we're going 100 Your hands aren't on the wheel Cause you're just staring at me Like you're not convinced that I am real And now we're at 180 And I can finally see But then it's over in a second Crashed the car into the tree Yeah, I can see it all happen You'd rather die than take your eyes off me I don't love you like that I'm a careful driver Tell you all the time to keep your eyes on the road But you love me like that You're a reckless driver And one day it'll kill us if I don't let go I
3: don't know how to
0: tell you So that is A Little Taste of Reckless Driving and this features Ben Kessler singing along with you and it's a kind of call and response or you. I don't know, the story unfolds in different ways. How did the song come about, and did you always think there was going to be another voice on it?
2: I did not write this as a feature, with a feature in mind. I wrote this also in London around the time that I wrote Ceilings, so in, like, 2020, and I wrote it originally on this Nord keyboard that I I had in my um, apartment, and when I first wrote it, I had in mind this, like, I don't even know what I had in mind. It was really weird. I came to Philip and I was like, I wanted to sound like a Taylor Swift song. Right. <laughs> but like it was it was strange. I like didn't really have like a real reference track or anything. It was kind of just like the direction was always unclear on this one, I think.
4: This song really did take a year to figure it out. It did. Um but yeah, it, it was based around a keyboard part initially that Lizzie had written and I can play you her voice memo of the demo. So initially mean to kiss we were thinking, you know, okay, like this is a cool synth part that like, you know, the challenge was just going to be like, you know, how do we sauce up that synth line with, you know, a sound that we really like that synth part didn't end up making it in, but that was, sort of for better or worse the thing that was steering us to begin with so then this is, I'll play you a little bit of our like first demo of it. Oh. Does this have the vocal in it? Yeah, I think there's oh. the intro's double.
1: I didn't mean to kiss you You the chorus? Now yeah. you can't focus on feel like that I'm a careful driver And I tell you all the time to keep your eyes on the road. Just
2: real basic.
4: (laughs) Yeah, so part of the thing was, you know, the way that she had written it initially, the keyboard part stayed the same through the entire song. And then you and I had a really, like, fun evening writing, like, reharmonizing the last chorus, which turned into the bridge outro thing. And I had this idea of, like, you know, this was after the point that we had decided that we would have Ben feature on it, and I had the idea of staggering the vocal and kind of like in a Ceilings-esque sort of way, <laughs> mm-hmm. having just like a massive, massive sound at the end of the song, but this time it was going to be sort of no-holds-barred instead of uh, trying to keep anything about it gentle.
2: I have the Reckless Driving Bridge Epiphany voice memo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i was just playing it into my phone. I mean my mic. <laughs> no we shouldn't go back to the original melody <laughs> just, we shouldn't go back to the just double spin. chorus and then it gets fucked up yes and then, and then they're about to
4: crash and then it ends <laughs> those are high fives you can hear happening there that's pretty funny yeah man that was a good moment <laughs>
2: it was really fun
4: and there, at that point it wasn't until toward the end of the recording process that we were like let's drop in like a bridge and i had like a lyric idea which you were like Got excited about and then oh, ran yeah. off into the other room before and, the yeah. outro
2: chorus, right? Because in a lot of versions there was no, um I don't know what I, what you would call it. It's like an, an interlude-ish thing.
4: Yeah, so here I'll play you the section that we're talking about for a little bit of context. This part coming up here.
1: Don't wanna scrape you off the pavement. I can't be your savior. I don't. So
4: that, that whole section didn't exist until quite, like, yeah I mean, I'm looking through our little array of different bounces here, and they, you know, start in January, and we didn't get the final version until the beginning of December, <laughs> and it wasn't until November that we wrote that bridge section.
2: Yeah, Philip was like, maybe there should be a section in between, like, before the outro chorus starts, and... He came up with the lyric The scrape you off the pavement, and I was like, oh, yes. And then I just kind of like wrote something really quickly.
4: Yeah, and then we had this really fun time writing all those like, yeah, counter melodies. We should play those. Yeah, sure.
2: Well,
0: when did it go into the guitar? When did it change from a Nord keyboard?
4: Pretty late. This was like like another down to the wire moment where we had a fully functioning version of the song that we were like totally ready to send to mastering. And this one was even more of a like reversal where it was like, Lizzie was like, I don't think that we got the direction right. Yeah, because it wasn't just one.
2: It wasn't just one section. It was like the whole song felt a little bit not right to me yet.
4: Here, I'll play you several of the versions. So this one is from April. This was sort of the first attempt of like, okay, we're gonna build up some kind of interesting pop ish. Thing.
1: But then it's over in a second Crashed the car into the tree Yeah, I can see it all happen You'd rather die than take your eyes off me I don't love you like that I'm a careful driver
4: With the vocoder and
1: I tell you all the time To keep your eyes on the road But you love me like that <laughs> reckless... That's pretty wow. crunch We'll cut that one
4: off right there And then Cut forward three months to July and we're experimenting with some other bad ideas. <laughs>
1: I'd <laughs> rather die than take your eyes off me. I don't love you like that. I'm a careful driver. I like the vocoder.
4: Yeah. The vocoder yeah. honestly should have made it in, but that synth, I don't know what the idea was.
2: <laughs> what is going on?
4: <laughs> so basically basically two things are like very true about Lizzie and I. Lizzie's not Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. I'm not Max Martin. (laughs) That was never gonna work. Not that Lizzie couldn't totally crush like a a pop production like that, but like in the context of the record, it just sort of wasn't making sense, and none of the ideas were shaping up. There's one more version I'll play you, which was kind of like trying to be louder and brighter, and this one is—is this the John Mayer version? No, this is the uh, yeah. We'll we'll get to the John Mayer version. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah this is probably the closest to Taylor Swiftie that we ended up getting
1: but you love me like that. you're a reckless driver. and one day it'll kill us if i don't let go
4: Anyway so at some point like probably around the beginning of October of this year or of last year it was just like, okay, nothing that we have tried is working here. Actually, I, I should say, now that I'm thinking about it, we brought in Ben, because Ben is an amazing producer, and we had him start playing with ideas. Some of those, like the like July version onward, he had a hand in. And Ben and I, like Ben came out to LA, and he and I were sitting with the song and trying to figure out how to like how to get it to feel like a little bit more like it had a foot in like Lizzie territory, but still like have the upbeat pop energetic sort of feeling yeah. to it. And we came up with the version that we affectionately nicknamed the John Mayer version. And this is the one that almost was reckless driving.
1: And one day it'll kill us if I don't let it go.
4: I don't know how to tell you. That
1: I feel safe when you say shotgun Never felt this way,
4: no That's a groovy second verse right there
1: And allow
4: I I tell you I
1: know exactly where we're going I get lost just for this moment
2: Now we're at 100 Oh, the guitars! Oh yeah! And I don't
1: wanna lose this you know,
4: Here's the John Mayer coming
1: now we Then
4: a totally different chorus.
1: You like that. I'm a reckless
4: and it just felt so smooth. happy.
2: It felt so happy.
4: It felt like <laughs> driving with the windows down. Yeah, it does toward, feel that way. Yeah, I mean uh, the John Mayer thing. Like, I feel like maybe it has like love on the weekend vibes or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Just like a step too far in like, easy-breezy direction.
1: Yeah.
4: But yeah, it was like, we were pretty much ready to ship this, mm-hmm. and Lizzie had sort of approved it, and it was like, okay, it's ready to mix, and then I, you know, mixed it, and I got one text back from Lizzie It was like, oh, this is great, just like that snare in the second verse needs to come down, and I turned the snare down, and then I got another text that was like, this is great, I just think that we need to start over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow.
2: It just felt like... I don't know, the, the words and the production were not really matching in my mind yet. It felt too upbeat and happy, and the words are, like, not that way at all. It's like, this song is about being in a relationship with someone who loves more than you do, and you're kind of half in it, and they're, they're ready to, like, die for you, basically.
4: Yeah, again, it was like, a. I think that from the beginning, we, and particularly I, was, like, too focused on, like, this Taylor Swift idea and not I enough focused on like, that. <laughs> what's in the song, you know? Like It's like, as a producer, you first have to be the audience member and like yeah. just pay attention to what the hell is going on. And we kind of went down a million wrong paths with it before we finally ended up with what it ended up being. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so, I mean, Lizzie had this revelation then and realized, oh mm-hmm. no, it's not quite how I want it. But did you have an idea of how you did want it?
2: Yeah, I did, I think I told you, I was like, I I want it to be more, can we try like a more acoustic type of thing, and that's...
4: Yeah, it was like the total reversal, it was like, okay, like the one thing that we haven't tried yet is doing something that actually sort of sounds like Lizzie. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) it's kind of funny, major irony. Um, Yeah, yeah, and then at that point, I called in Ryan Lerman, just like needing just somebody who hadn't touched the song Mm -hmm. to like contribute some ideas and ryan and i sat with the song probably for like three days and kind of just tried to go back to basics and i kind of was enjoying having the pressure of like you know performing the guitar part like on him rather than on me
2: should we play through those yeah
4: so we laid down some cool rubber bridge guitars so this is what that sounds like We had a few layers of that, so that's the sound of the pickup in the guitar, and then this is uh, with the microphone that we put in front of the guitar added. A few more layers of similar stuff. There's a layer of me playing that same cheap Martin that I mentioned. Just needed a little bit more top-end detail. And then from there it was sort of like okay that's working to get us to the chorus what is sort of the like minimal number of steps that we can take in terms of adding stuff other than the vocal so we'll just play through that verse and we can talk through it in real time
1: I didn't mean to kiss you I mean I did but I didn't think it'd go this far
4: a lot of it was just the treatment on the vocal and like a little bit of reverb and some spatial effects to keep it sort of interesting and keep drawing your ear in.
1: there's a
4: couple wheel. really gentle synth
1: it's swells and I can finally see but then it's over in a second so there's really there's
4: really, really not the much chorus. happening yeah there's like I said there's a couple little synth thingies it's just like add a little bit of tension add a little bit of mystery keep it feeling like something might be coming but they're not really like you know you really might not notice them without really thinking about it
1: now we're going 100 your hands aren't on the wheel because you're just staring at me like you're not real and now we're
4: so that's all that happens all the way up to the first chorus and then that's where things get really interesting.
1: You'd rather die than take your eyes off me. I don't love you like that. I'm a careful driver.
4: So this was chorus approach number 6531. Yeah. It was initially just like, you know, thinking like, okay, well, maybe the maybe having those guitars come through that that first chorus and, you know, just adding a couple of little extra sounds would work. That didn't really work. It sort of felt like a bigger move needed to happen, but it was like, okay, well, if we're not going to go in the massive, big, bright pop direction, how are we going to make the energy step up? And Ryan and I were kind of sitting there beating our heads against the wall, playing with different guitar ideas. And then I sort of thought like, well, there's one thing that always works, and that is a four-on-the-floor kick drum, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was kind of the pivot point for approaching the chorus was just a soft and not that we hadn't tried that before but in the context of the like softer more acoustic approach so we started with kick drum and vocals essentially on this chorus
1: i don't love you like that i'm a careful driver and i tell you all the time to keep your so
4: there's eyes on like the energy is just coming from that stuff. And then it was like, okay, how do we fill in this space with something that is working emotionally and also texturally? Like just something interesting that is helping the emotion rather than taking it further away. So we started with some more rubber bridge guitars. I don't love
1: you like that. I'm a careful driver, and I tell you all the time to keep your eyes on the ro- So
4: there's a high Acoustic guitar in there. There's... pizzicato violin. Then, this is some rubber bridge. Right, this is rubber bridge pitched down and up an octave, and then filtered, and that's the bass in this section. That's the feel from the beginning of the song. And then I had Ryan play this thing to counter the pizzicato line that was in my head. Then there's the synth part. Just a little more shape. And then the secret sauce, which is so not secret, is just a big fat sidechain to that kick drum for everything that I just played you. And it's funny, in the session they're just, there's one group that contains all of the chord instruments and the bass and I was just like, all right, we'll put like SSL compressor on it and then sidechain it. Mm. And that gives it that sort of like glitchy lo-fi feeling. Yeah. And it makes all of those individually really non-spectacular elements feel like they're part of something smarter, I guess.
3: I mean, I remember one of the conversations, like at some point, Lizzie, I feel like you were like, I don't know, I just kind of want it to be like a Ben Kessler song.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely had that thought direction at one point, which is part of why we brought him in to help, because I just felt like he was literally referencing one of his songs. I was like, I want this part to sound like this part in this song, and I just think he is very talented, and he's in the world that I wanted this song to be in partially.
4: Yeah, Ben's contributions were heavily featured in that outro section. Yeah. It's funny, I actually have a group in the song that is like the stuff that Ben sent. And it, yeah, it's like so much of the. what's interesting about this last section is this is the outro section. came up with a a ton of these
3: like gnarly textures I feel like the kick the side chain thing and the synth those two elements even though the bulk of stuff is intimate acoustic those two elements when they enter that is what makes it more like Ben Kessler Mm -hmm. oh yeah to my ears you know it it like defines the character of the song to me Mm -hmm. in a way I didn't realize before
4: absolutely We talk about the bridge. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. The way that this happened
4: initially. So there's like these couple transition bars here. All that like pitch, like glissando stuff, that initially just sort of cascaded into the last chorus. And then I was kind of listening to it and feeling like this just feels sort of abrupt, Abrupt, Lazide. Like, we totally change vibes, and then we don't live in the headspace that is at the end of the song for long enough. And initially it was just like, let's try just putting some kind of instrumental section in there. So the first thing was I tried chopping up this guitar that Aaron had recorded on, I don't remember what the guitar was, but it was through that Korg tape deck. What is that thing called?
3: The little Korg 4-track?
4: The little Korg 4-track
3: cassette. The, uh, CR4.
4: And we didn't use it for the, the tape heads. We used it just for the speakers <laughs> and the preamp. <laughs> it's just like this bizarrely like nice guitar sound. Here, I'll play you the the unedited guitar. So there's a layer of that in there. And initially, that was a texture that we had used earlier in the song, but it just hadn't really panned out with the current direction, but I thought like, maybe we could chop it up and do something interesting with it. So I did this. Uh. And Lizzie and I kind of looked at each other like, oh, this is cooler than anything else. (laughs) So then we added some bass. A much more significant kick drum. And then I had this idea for that lyric and Lizzie got all excited about it and ran out of the room and came back with this written.
1: Don't wanna scrape you off the pavement. I can't be your savior. I don't wanna be here when you lose control.
4: And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Let's record that right away.
2: Can we go through the the, the BGBs just yeah. like by themselves?
4: Yeah. Here are some background vocals.
1: Don't wanna scrape you off the pavement. I can't be your savior. Woo! Be here. Lose control. Don't wanna watch it as it happens. See the crowd's reaction.
4: I should say just in general. I feel like the most excited that you and I have ever gotten in the studio is like when we're tracking background vocals. It's not the lead vocal. You hate doing lead vocals. I hate doing
2: lead vocals, but BGVs are so fun.
4: It's like, oh my God, that's so cool. You just
2: get in a groove and then we're just like bouncing off of each other and it's amazing. We get
4: really hyper. So here, actually, can we just, do you mind if we indulge and just play the background vocal arrangement from that point on? Yeah, go for it. Or just all the vocals?
1: Savior, I don't wanna be here when you lose control. Don't wanna watch it as it happens, see the crowd's reaction. I don't wanna be here when you kill us both. Don't Cause, I don't like Cause I love you like Cause I love you like I'm a careful driver. I'm a reckless driver. I tell you all the well, time. You tell me keep all the times like, do you love me like If I keep on like, I'm a careful all to keep on the road. But you me like, you it'll kill us if I.
2: Oh, so cool!
4: And it cuts off.
2: Can we go through those, um, the like, uh, you know?
4: Yeah, so this is, was feeling like there needed to be more of a counter melody. Something to help it scale up.
2: Ooh.
0: Wow. So cool. Yeah. Amazing. It's interesting because in some ways, I think with the kick drum and with that section of the song, somehow that taps into some of the experiments that you made, you know, the different electronic experiments that you were making using keyboards and stuff that you kind of ditched, but somehow the feel of those is in that section. I don't know why, because
4: it's different and it's completely new because you just did it Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about with a number of different tunes that we've done together over the years is the concept of a scene change. Like, if you think of like a moment in a song as like an opportunity to just flick a switch and transport, I felt like once we had the foundation of the foundation of sort of where we were coming from, the context of like what needed to happen emotionally was more clear and it was like some of those ideas panned out better. And, you know, there's also the fact that some of the sounds that we used, like this one, that's like a chop of a guitar with a bunch of like sort of down distortion on it. That was like initially at the beginning of the song and then in another one of the versions and it sort of just fell into place, especially after Mm -hmm. we had that middle section written. It was like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's sort of more clear now what business um, synthy big distorted sonics have on this song.
1: Yeah.
0: Because it's a complex mm-hmm. lyric, really. You no, know, I think the first time I heard it, it seemed more jokey, in a way. And then the more you listen to it, it's like, no, God, this is <laughs> this is a complex yeah. situation. You no, know, where you're trying to tell somebody that you don't feel the same way, and then there's this situation with the whole driving thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is kind of scary. You know, something that you amplify in the film, and this is also you know, a, a tune uh,
4: that really fits into that thing that Aaron was saying about having a visual in mind. Like from the get go, you heard that voice memo that Lizzie played at the beginning with us like sorting out the ending of the song, and I say something like and it just cuts off. The idea is that the car is crashing Mm -hmm. and you know, you don't know what happened. So that there's sort of this crazy argument happening between Ben and Lizzie in the vocals and like the car crash is coming and then it sort of comes.
0: Will we ever know what really happened, Izzy? Will you ever make it clear?
2: <laughs> I mean, I feel like the music video in uh, the film, it makes sense if you watch that in context and then you can kind of understand the song better. But I like the idea that if you listen to this like out of context, just this song, and then it kind of ends and people are like, what? I like that.
4: Especially going into weird on the record. Yeah.
2: yeah. The order of the tracks were very particular.
4: Yeah. We had a moment at the end of this where we're like, is that cutoff working? And it was like, well, it definitely works if you put weird mm-hmm. after it. Yeah. It's like you went to purgatory. <laughs>
2: Literally weird is like a disassociation, almost like a different, you've crashed and now you're in this like fugue state. Like what's going on? That's kind of
4: weird. Yeah. Do you mind if we play that transition on the record really quickly? Yeah, go for it. It's just like the worst feeling in the best way. This transportation to.
1: Yeah,
2: really creepy. Yeah. Literally a nightmare. It's crazy.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Fascinating to hear about how reckless driving took you all over the road. <laughs> Literally. <No>? <laughs> <laughs> In a way. <laughs>
3: I'm glad we got to hear a bit of weird. I remember Lizzie talking about that song being one that was almost intentionally put there to, I don't We called like, it I the skip track.
2: Yeah, well, there was a lot of talk about um, just, like, is this song does this have a place on the record? Not by me, by other people. But there was a lot, like, my manager was like, it is weird and, like, people aren't going to want to listen to it. And I was like, well, I like it, first of all. And second of all, it has such a specific place in this track list and it is just so impactful after Reckless Driving. It just makes so much sense in my head of, like, the journey that this album takes you on. And so I put it on there knowing that it probably wouldn't be people's favorites, and it isn't, and that's fine with me because I like
3: it. I think it's one of the songs that helps make this record a record as opposed to just a collection of individual songs. And it's also a song that, like, it's just a great example of Lizzie's commitment to bold choices. Amen. (laughs) That's something I really admire is is like, we're just going to make bold choices. Why not? (laughs) Um, I'm very conscious of the time. There are a couple of questions that we ask
0: everybody who comes on the podcast. And the first of them is a a tech one uh, or a piece of equipment, something that you can't live without or can't work without, or it may be something that just relates to this project that you've
4: been working on. I have a list. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, there were these boundary mics that Aaron introduced me to. He was thinking of the same thing. He's got them in his hand there. Uh, (laughs) Those are just sort of this like crazy secret weapon I almost don't want to say what they're called so they don't all get snatched up on eBay. Keep them. <laughs> <laughs> but in the spirit of a healthy, creative environment, well, actually, I don't know what they're, AT251A,
3: is that right? I forget the model. Audio-Technica boundary mics. Yeah. They have a couple different models that are cool.
4: They just have this ability to create, like, an amazing, amazingly detailed and phase-coherent stereo field with like minimal effort from the engineer like you just kind of put them down on something and they sound amazing and they capture like the sound of a space we also use a tree audio tree branch 2 that was the preamp that we used on virtually all of the vocals
3: really good di
4: yeah it has a really good (laughs) di yeah i mean the 414 that we mentioned earlier and then you know Aaron and I are both um, universal audio nuts and we lean heavily on that stuff what would
3: you say Aaron you mentioned this already but I thought I would pull it up this little uh, it's a four track cassette recorder that has built in speakers and early on in the process of this record we were using it so often especially with the little Casio keyboard, like guitars and the Casio. Oh
4: my God, I'm such an idiot. Scrap everything else I've said, it's the Casio (laughs) SK-1.
3: That's the signature piece It's on every song. (laughs) I mean, when we were early on just sort of exploring the sonics of this record, it was like Lizzie's voice, the Audio-Technica mics, the Korg CR-4, and the Casio were the things that we kept just sort of like, oh, let's try this, let's try this. And I feel like those really helped shape our direction, even if yeah. they're not on every single track the whole way through. They they were this like blanket around us that we kept using. I don't know. I feel like gear is really only meaningful in context, you know? And in this context, those were the pieces of gear that were really meaningful.
0: Yeah, totally. Context is all. And it's great that you're able to just reach out and pull it to you and and show it to the camera because, uh, of course, we are filming this and clips of the podcast do go on YouTube so people will be able to see these things. The other question we always ask everybody is about advice. So whether you've received any advice along the way or whether you've learned some serious lessons that you would want to pass on to other people.
2: Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I have like a piece of advice that I've been given. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I really feel like this whole record process was like, a huge learning experience for me I we were like in the studio every single day for two months and it was very very difficult for me because I get burnt out creatively so so fast and I just felt by the end I had no I had no more creative ideas to give I was like I really just was not uh, having a good time towards the end that's definitely a a lesson that I had to learn the hard way
1: (laughs)
4: I'll offer two thoughts one of them is something that Aaron said to me when I met Aaron back when I was in high school which was that you can't lose betting on yourself and that's just sort of been an ongoing thing in my career it's like I have the personality type that is generally just sort of like gripped by anxiety and sort of a, a fear of inadequacy and it's like very often a force that in my head is sort of steering me away from taking risks and obviously like you know It's great advice in the context of a creative career in general, but it's also great advice on the level of just, like, you know, making a decision and sticking with your guns, you know, whether or not you choose to speak up about your crazy ideas. Like, I I feel like I'm so much better for having that thought in the back of my head, which is just sort of like, (laughs) when you have, like, an ambition or an idea that is important to you, not pursuing it is always a failure and if it's important to you the downsides are you know usually much outweighed by the chance of or even just the personal experience of seeing it through and I think that that's like I think the three of us think that way or at least strive to think that way I think that I would categorize Aaron and Lizzie both more that way than myself but I think that like that was kind of a mentality in the room was like well either this record is going to be something that people look at and think like wow they like really made committed decisions or they're going to hate it but like i wouldn't want anybody to think like oh they did the safe thing you know mm-hmm. and then the other thing sorry i know i'm like using up more than my share of airtime here is just something that i think that i learned in the process of making this record and having it take a year the way that it did which was just that like as a musician and as somebody working creatively And particularly, you know, in a situation like this where Lizzie had her first record come out that we did and it was, uh, you know, it had gained some steam and it sort of felt like there was a lot of psychological pressure on the follow-up. Just that, like, you are the instrument and you have to take care of yourself. And the moment that you, like, start neglecting your overall state of well-being is the moment that A, your work will suffer and B, like you will just not be able to, to sustain the workload. And I feel like I kind of learned that lesson the hard way with this record. And I'm very proud of the way that it came out and very proud of Lizzie's contributions and Aaron's contributions. And it was like sort of a, a tough lesson for me to learn. I was just totally exhausted by the end of the year working on the record. And uh, it will steer me in the future.
0: Very interesting. Aaron, do you have any particular hmm. thoughts? Or it sounds like your advice... Something that you've said to (laughs) Philip is is the advice, (laughs) in a way.
3: You know, I feel like one of the benefits of collaborating with people is it gives you the opportunity to work the way they work and learn something from them. So I guess the advice is work with really great people and think about what you're learning in the process. And, I mean, in this, you know, for me, working with these two geniuses, I (laughs) Cannot overstate Lizzie's commitment to her vision. You know, there's a fine line between just sort of being hard-headed. Like being hard-headed doesn't mean anything if you don't really actually have a vision. You have to do the work of creating a vision and really do the work of, um, like everything that she spoke about: understanding yourself, understanding what you're trying to say, understanding where you want your work to exist in the world, and. I mean, her commitment to that is like undeniable and unstoppable.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like super, super admirable. And Philip's commitment to getting the details right, like he just seems to have this endless ability to work on something until it's really just the way he wants it to sound sonically. And, y- you know, I mean, I guess the common thread is commitment to the vision. Super important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some fascinating
0: and valuable stuff there. Thank you so much for taking all the time to talk to us. Very much appreciated. Thank you. And we, you've got one more task which is to choose an outro song now from the album. Something that will see us all off into the night. Orange Show Speedway. It's the closing song on the album.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks so
0: much, John. Thank you.
2: That was so much fun. Thank you for having us. It's
0: been a bit of real pleasure. Really, really enjoyed it. And here is... Orange Show Speedway. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.
1: Every guy at this festival has you in their eyes. I never think about it too much, but I'm thinking tonight, and it's really annoying that I'm triggered like this, cause your name isn't spoken, but I'm speaking it, and I don't know why it happened, but it happened like this, my best friends are with me, and I feel okay, but last time I was here, I was 18, my mind is racing, and I feel so strange, last time I was here, you were